Matthew chapter 7 is where we're going to be today. We are walking through the gospel of Matthew. We are, uh, this is kind of the, the last chapter of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This is, this is kind of, he's starting to wrap that up. And, uh, and so we're going to wrap that up in the next couple of weeks. And so we're going to read the first five verses today and, and talk about it. Uh, this is what Jesus says in verse 1, chapter 7 of Matthew. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For the way that you judge, you will be judged. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Um, I've been around this planet for coming up on 46 years, and something I've realized, uh, it is not difficult to spot a Tennessee fan. It is not hard to do. Uh, they're very easy to find in the wild. Uh, I mean, the, the orange color, I, let's, be, let's be honest, that orange color is the color that hunters wear in the woods so they don't shoot each other. So, they, I mean, it is meant to stand out. It is meant to be obvious. And so my wife and I were at a store a couple weeks ago, and we saw a family, uh, parents, couple children, head-to-toe Tennessee uh, it's like they were ready to be put into the game. And uh, so they were, it was very obvious. Uh, there was no questioning. So you guys, Bulldog fans, right? There's no questioning. We know where they stand. Um, as Christians, the way that uh, Jesus puts it in, in John chapter 13 is that we are meant to be known by our love. And uh, what that means is it should be almost as obvious as being a Tennessee fan, that we are followers of Christ because we, we, we show love, we show compassion, we care, we see people, we notice people, we slow down, we take time to be present, to be compassionate, to be loving, to be empathetic. Uh, and it's not something, it's not because we are, uh, feel this sense of obligation, it's just who we are. It's just obvious to the world around us what team we're on because we love. That's what it means to be a a believer in Christ. And so what Jesus is talking about here is that something else is getting out there as a representation of Christians. There's another assumption. There's another another thing that people are seeing and, and assuming about believers And that is, and it's still very present today, believers, Christians, they are judgmental. They judge. And and so Jesus is addressing that. We're meant to be known for our love, and instead it it looks like and appears like that we are uh, associated with judgment and therefore hypocrisy. And so he is addressing that, and, uh, and so this is what... Um, this is what he says. Don't judge or you'll be judged. The way you judge, you'll be judged by your standard of measure. It'll be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and don't notice the log that's in your own eye? This is, this is a recipe 
for hypocrisy. And no wonder the world uh, associates Christians with hypocrisy because we all know that we've got something wrong with us. Everyone knows that there's something wrong with you. <laughs> Whether we see it or not, there's something wrong. And, and we all know that. There's the base level, we're all in the same boat, and there's an understanding. And so Jesus is addressing uh, this idea of judgment. Now, now, specifically, the word judgment here used, it means to judge others unfairly. And, uh, and it has this connotation of uh, judging with self-righteousness. So an elevated position, position as if we are kind of, uh, we're giving you God's judgment. We're directing God's judgment towards other people. <coughs> it would also mean to jump to conclusions. So to judge unfairly, it would be to jump to conclusions, to make assumptions. And so this is a specific type of judgment that Jesus is saying, don't do that, different from a, another kind of judgment that the Bible says to do. And I think this is where we can get a little fuzzy, because it's like the Bible says to judge, but then the Bible also says, don't judge. So here we have a very specific form of judgment. It is uh, judging uh, from a place of self-righteousness, making assumptions, jumping to conclusions, This is what John chapter 7 says, verse 24. Do not judge according to appearance. That's one side of it. But do judge with righteous judgment. So with the same sentence, we have don't judge, but also do judge. Uh, And the, the specific don't judge is the same as we see in what Jesus is saying. Don't judge based on appearances. Don't jump to conclusions. Don't make assumptions. Don't judge from a lofty, self-righteous place. The, the, the difference is judge with a righteous judgment. What this all means is to look through the right lens and see things clearly. To see things clearly, which can certainly lead to, if we see things clearly, can lead to a need to lovingly uh, bring up topics, address situations, talk about things with people that we really love. If we really love someone, we don't want to see them self-destruct. We don't want to see them hurt themselves. We don't want to see them make decisions that they may not be seeing clearly themselves. And so God puts relationships in, in our lives to help bring clarity and objectivity and maybe some righteous perspective to our lives it's not that we're autonomous, alone, in this by ourselves. leave me alone, you shouldn't judge. Uh, it's very different to make righteous, uh, to give righteous perspective to someone versus to just make assumptions and be self-righteous in, their, in your judgment. So this is what Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 2 says. The Apostle Paul kind of captures the spirit of, of bringing a righteous judgment to someone else. It says this, if anyone is caught in any trespass, any sin, any moral failure, any mistake, any bad decision, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you will not too be tempted, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. You who are spiritual. 
That is very different than those who are living in the natural sense, living uh, kind of dedicated to the flesh, living a worldly kind of uh, uh, perspective. We're meant to walk and live by faith. That's how we're meant to operate. That's how we're meant to live life. And so uh, we don't live by sight. We live by faith. And so to see clearly is to see things spiritually. And, uh, and also, with that comes a willingness to shoulder each other's burdens. So uh, here's a rule of thumb. Everyone's got opinions. Uh, opinions are like chins. We all have at least one. And so uh, we, we all have opinions. And so we want to make sure that the world can hear our opinion. The world is entitled to my opinion. And so we'll broadcast that opinion every opportunity we get a lot of times. And so uh, do we need to listen to everyone's opinion? Does everyone that with opinion get a say-so or an opportunity to speak into our life? No. And here's a litmus test. If anyone wants to just kind of do a drive-by judgment of you, and give their critical analysis of you, but they're not willing to sit down and, and walk through this journey with you and help you shoulder the burden, that's not a righteous judgment. That is self-righteous judgment. Righteous judgment comes with a willingness to, to pitch in, to shoulder the burden, shoulder the load, to step in, walk it out, and help. And so last week we read the statement, in uh, chapter 6, Matthew 6, 23, Jesus said this, The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you, is darkness, how great is the darkness? That is a conversation Jesus is making, has a metaphor about seeing things spiritually versus seeing things naturally. It's an elevated spiritual perspective that life by faith, you get a different vantage point. His ways are higher, his thoughts are higher. And so to see things spiritually is to see things clearly. And to not be, uh, to not be tuned in to the frequency of heaven, to not see things spiritually, is to live in darkness. So everyone's opinion is not informed by anything spiritual or righteous or supernatural or elevated. A lot of people's opinions, most people's opinions, are just opinions. So here's the, uh, the big impairment of seeing things spiritually. Having a log sticking out of your eyeball will seriously impair your judgment. Have you ever gotten like a little, just a little kind of dust or a gnat, a gnat in your eye? Uh, I remember we were hiking, my wife and I were hiking one day, and uh, I was getting gnats in my eyes, and, and I don't know if you've noticed, my eyes are not exactly big and beautiful. Uh, you can barely tell that I have eyes right now. Uh, it looks like I'm, I'm asleep half the time, and I'm not. I'm wide awake. Now, my wife has giant precious moment eyes, and, uh, and so I'm getting gnats in mine. I'm like, good God, Sonia, you must be getting squirrels in yours. <laughs> um, if you've ever gotten something in your eye, uh, it's, 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 a, it's a nuisance. Can you imagine having a two-by-four sticking out of your face? Um, it will seriously impair your judgment. And, so, and because of that, we are oftentimes spiritually blind. 
So the, the splinter, the wood thing, it, it, uh, a lot of allegories in the Bible. Uh, there's a lot of references to wood. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant was wood wrapped in gold. There's so many things were, were, were wood, and wood uh, oftentimes signifies humanity, flesh. And so we are all flesh. And so some of that represents having a splinter, having a log. It represents sin, flesh, humanity, frailty, uh, our, our shortcomings. And so we all have that. So um, when we have a log in our eye, when we have something blocking our vision spiritually, and we can only see, only think, see things naturally, instead of living out of a place of care and compassion, we view things through a lens of comparison and criticism. We're always comparing. We're always kind of comparing and contrasting. And, and this is a, uh, if you've noticed, this is a very broken, fallen world. And this world is suffering uh, from spiritual blindness, from a lack of perspective, from, from a very myopic, small perspective. And so uh, that, that perspective, that, that vantage point fuels self-righteousness as opposed to receiving actual heaven-sent, Jesus-purchased, real righteousness. And so we live in a world that is extremely self-righteous, and with that self-righteousness comes judgment, criticism. And so uh, that means at any given moment, whatever the topic is, whatever the conversation is, the self-righteousness that exists in me feels entitled to be the judge. I feel entitled to be the judge of whatever it is. I've earned the right because I am right. Uh, I feel like I am in any situation, I am officially Judge Judy. And I can bang the gavel and I can, I can let you know this is, this is the correct perspective just because it's mine. We all live with this very convenient blind spot that exists in all of us. We have this convenient blind spot. It happens to be ourself. So we become proficient. We have like almost microscopic vision. It is incredible to see the speck in another human's eye. We can spot it from a mile away. Let me tell you what's wrong with that guy. Let me tell you where he is way off. Let me tell you, even, we'll even start talking about the motivations behind where they stand. We'll talk about their mentality. We'll talk about their thoughts and feelings. We'll talk about the things that have caused them to feel that way in their past. You know what brought them to this place of wrongness? Let me tell you about it. We all just know. Because we're the judge. But we have this convenient blind, blind spot. We, we, for whatever reason, can spot the gnat in someone else's eye, but we are blissfully unaware of the railroad tie sticking out of our own face. It's amazing. To see the sin in other people is so easy, but to see the shortcomings, the issues that we have with ourselves, for some reason, we just don't see those as clearly. There's a, a, a wonderful scripture that I find a little controversial as I really wrestle with it internally, but uh, it's true nonetheless. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 10. This is worth writing down and revisiting. This one's worth going back to a few times. 
the Apostle Paul makes this comparison. He says, knowledge makes arrogant. Another translation says that knowledge puffs up. But love edifies, or love builds up. If anyone supposes that they know anything, underline that, if anyone supposes that they know anything at all, he is not yet known as he, is ought, he, ha- he ought to know. If anyone loves God, he's known by God. Paul is contrasting two of the predominant motivators in life. On one side, you have self-edification, puffing one's self up, uh, building oneself up, a life of self-interest and establishing self. And a lot of that has to do with just image, reputation, perceived self. Uh, that is my life through filters that I want you to, I want you to see me in a certain light. So we're always kind of our own PR person. We're always kind of managing perception. And we post things on social media that will make us look like we're living our best life. Meanwhile, we might not be very happy. We might not be doing very well, but we don't want the world to ever see us sweat. We want people to look at us with envy. We want people to look at our lives and say, man, if only I could be that person. And so we, we're always curating a life that we want people to perceive as being successful and being great. Meanwhile, on the other side of the coin, this is the Apostle Paul, he, he says that there's another approach towards life that has to do with the priority of building other people up of investing in edification and and actually being outwardly focused as opposed to just our focus being turned inwards. Now, if we're objective this morning and we just kind of take an objective look at the way our world is, the way that our world works, consider which one of these is the pervasive approach towards life. Which one of these sounds more like the definition of success that the world is always uh, projecting to us. I hear all the time, even in conversations with lovely, wonderful people, that it is understood and it is just a given that a life worth living is a life focused on self. It is a life of my own personal achievement, accomplishment, in, in gaining and getting and achieving and checking boxes. Fulfillment and in, in success are found in self-discovery. And then we have the Apostle Paul contrasting that and saying, actually, the, the, the path to success is uh, a thing that, that uh, a wonderful pastor who passed away this, this year, I believe, uh, Tim Keller, he refers to it as blessed self-forgetfulness, which is the, the divine part of Christianity. It's blessed self-forgetfulness. It, it, is, uh, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It is uh, a life of running to the back of the line instead of scrapping and clawing our way to the front. It's a life of service as, a, as opposed to a life being served. Jesus himself said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve it is the, the, no greater love has anyone than this than to sacrifice oneself for 
others. It is completely contradictory to the world's definition of success. It is as counterculture as you can possibly get. And so this is the statement. Knowledge puffs one up. Now, is that a, an indictment against information and learning and knowledge in general? No. It is an indictment over believing and thinking that you know everything. It is targeting that mentality that we have elevated self, that we have arrived and we've, uh, we've managed to achieve this place, this status where we know more than everybody else. That is pride. And pride always comes before a fall. As opposed to something that is legitimate, and that is building others up. There is, a, um, there is a contagious nature. There is a contagion to judgment. And Jesus addresses that. He says, don't judge others because what's going to happen is you're going to get judgment yourself. Now, I've heard a lot of preachers kind of turn that. They've turned a, a, a horizontal interaction to a vertical thing. And so they're, they're thinking, don't judge others because God's judging you. Well, if we just we understand theology, we understand our, our right standing before God. We're not we don't have right standing before God because we are uh, we pass the test of God's judgment. For those in Christ, we've already been judged in Christ, so that is done. He's not talking about if you judge others, I'm going to judge you. He's saying he keeps it all horizontal. If you judge others, what are they going to do? They're going to judge you right back. And we all know that to be true. It's like, well, you're, you're, you're wrong about that. Well, you're wrong. You, uh, I think that you, you, are, you play too many uh, video games. Well, I think you preach at people too much. I think you drive too fast. Well, I think you don't use your blinker correctly. There is this kind of this natural response. Growing up with an older sister was a, uh, a 24 hour a day, seven day a week game of gotcha last. Who had the last word? Who had the last smack in the head? There was always this, this it just never ending until my mom just said, I will whoop you both. And that was the end of it. But there was this natural, there's something, it's innate in us to respond in kind. And what Jesus said, the measure of judgment you receive, you'll measure right back to them. Unfortunately, tearing people down, judging them, tearing them down, is the quickest and the easiest way to feel elevated ourselves. And so... It seems to be the easiest way, and so that is why it happens all the time. In every forum, everywhere you go, people are shouting their judgment and their criticism of other people that they don't even know. Jesus is using these verses to bring us all to this common ground. He's saying, okay, everybody, everybody listen to me. And this is a diverse crowd. This is a crowd full of, you name it, they're there. And he's saying, all right, 
here's, here's, there's a starting block. This is where we all start. We all have logs in our eyes. Everybody. I don't care who you are, what you've done, who you think you are. We all have logs in our eyes. And he makes this statement, again, this, like so much of the Sermon on the Mount is misinterpreted and, and preached in such a way that makes it manageable and doable and, and to fit my will and not God's will, but we'll take this sentence, the last sentence I read. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. We see that as a challenge. If I just remove the log from my eye, then I can go into the speck-removing business. Then I can make it my full-time job to very rightly address everyone else's issues. Well, the first thing is the clue that this is not exactly what Jesus is talking about. Take the log out of your own eye, as if you could. Can you remove sin from yourself once and for all? To say, remove the log from your eye is to say, hey, you... Stop sinning altogether. That is an absolute impossibility. Not going to happen. I can't remove the log from my own eye. This is what Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 11 says. Are we better than they? Not at all. We've already charged that both Jews and Greeks, under the law and not under the law, are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not even one. Nobody. What about those guys that keep the law professionally? That is their job. Nope. They're just as guilty as the people that have never tried one day in their life. Because both have failed Jesus is not, he's not trying to create a, a hierarchy. He's not trying to create a, uh, this, this sort of levels in our Christian world. Well, this is a mature Christian. This is a newbie. This is someone who is um, uh, addicted to whatever that keeps them from being holy. This is someone who is quite holy and quite polished. Nope. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all, there's none, none are righteous. And there's no such thing as, well, he's kind of righteous. No, that kind of righteous is another way of saying not righteous. It's like saying, is she, is she pregnant? She's kind of pregnant. Is she pregnant or not? There, there's, there's no middle ground here. There's not a sliding scale. None are righteous. Not even one. So we're all brought to this same place. We're all existing with logs sticking out of our eyes. And so whether we are the person who are uh, the log-eyed judgmental people, or we are the, the splinter-eyed judged people, we're all in the same boat. And what that means is we all need grace. Every one of us needs grace. And that's, that's what Jesus is bringing us to is You can't do this on your own. You don't have a leg to stand on. You cannot elevate self. You cannot, you you can't 
build this life on comparison and say, well, at least I'm not as bad as they are, or at least I'm better than they are. No, all fall short. We are quick to step into the, the role of prosecutor. We are quick, as much as we are uh, quick to step into the seat of a judge, we're also very quick to step into the role of prosecutor. And we will bring our case. And think about it. When you talk about someone behind their back, which <laughs> you do, I know you, we all do, someone ticked us off, our boss, our coworker, our family member, uh, the barista at Starbucks, we will sit down and say, can you believe... And then we will paint a picture. We will bring all the evidence to form a case so that the the jury of our peers agrees with us and we all find that person, that defendant, guilty. And the prosecutor wins. But we are completely unaware of the fact, the reality, that before God, we are all the defendant. None of us are the prosecutor. None of us are even the defending attorney. We are the defendant. And, to go one step further, the trial's over, and you've been found guilty. We've all been found guilty. None of us are innocent. We've all been tried, and we've been found guilty. The good news is that Jesus steps in, has stepped in, and he said, what's their punishment? Life in prison? Okay, I tell you what, I will take the death penalty for them. I will overpay for their crimes. All restitution, I will pay all, everything that they've done wrong, I got it, I'll pay for it, let them go free. Now, if I'm a guilty person who has been pardoned only by the grace and the generosity of someone who loves me way more than I even love myself, how can I possibly now go from there and start extending judgment towards anybody else? This is the power of the Gospel. See, the Old Testament would say this under the, old, under the law, forgive and you'll be forgiven. Do this and you'll get that. But Jesus didn't say that. The new covenant says this. Forgive others because you've already been forgiven. It is not do this and get that. It is because you've been forgiven, therefore we are free to forgive. And it's only from the place of receiving incredible grace that we start to extend grace to other people. It changes our hearts. I'll close today with this this encouragement. How about this? And I think this is where Jesus' analogy goes. Instead of this, instead of obsessing over the specks in other people's eyes, instead of even noticing the specks in other people's eyes, and instead of obsessing over the log in our own eye, instead of making that the focal point and that the centerpiece of our life, instead of making the specks or the two-by-fours, the point. How about this? How about we we start to obsess daily over the fact that Jesus 
hung on that tree. Not the log in our eye, but the, tr- the cross. He hung on that tree in order to make us righteous. We can't remove the log in our own eye. So he hung on that log in order to bring righteousness, sinlessness to all of us. Our faith in his finished work creates love in our hearts. Galatians 5, 6. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. What that does, walking, living by faith, that faith expressing itself through love, the chemical reaction of faith becoming love in our hearts, it begins to move us away from the compulsion of comparison and criticism, and it starts to move us towards compassion, and it compels us towards community. Because it's not all about me. It's about we. It's not about me building me up. It's about me building others up. True love moves outward and invests in others. And only there, only in that place of living and walking, let everything you do be done in love, living in a place of God's true command. He says, let, let, you'll be known by our love for each other, but he also says at the same time to his disciples, he says, listen, this is what I'm asking you to do. Love others as I love you. This is the command. This is what I need you to do. This is the focus. This is the emphasis. In a life of individualism, in a life of I, I, I don't want to get out of bed and, and I, I don't feel like it, in a life full of I got stuff to do, I can't really invest in other people, in, life, in a life full of I got I to... Gotta, this money is mine, and I'm going to put it, I'm going to buy stuff on Amazon. I don't need to help anybody else. They can help themselves. In a life consumed by self, here is this blessed self-forgetfulness that Jesus graciously brings to our hearts. And suddenly, we are willing to begin to help carry the burdens of others around us, to shoulder the load, to, 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 to look to the people that God's brought us together with in the family of faith and say, you're not in this by yourself. I know this time, this season stinks. And I know you've received bad news after bad news after bad news. And I know that nothing is going according to plan. And I know that you had so much more planned and expected for this time in your life. And I know that you don't feel well. I know that you've got a lot on your mind. And I know that you feel like you're swimming upstream. But I'm here to tell you, you're not in it alone. You are not in this alone First and foremost, he will never leave you and forsake you. And secondly, you are loved and you're part of this family. And I got your back. We're going to carry this burden together. Chris, how does that work practically? I cannot encourage you enough to get involved in a small group. People coming on Sunday and they roll in and they roll out and they're like, why didn't Chris care about what's going on in my life? I saw you for 39 seconds. And I really do care, but this, this, is, this is a place where we gather to worship Jesus. And this is a place where we can love on each other, encourage each other in small doses. But if you really want to sit down and let's talk about what's going on, go get lunch after church, go to a small group, eat some dinner, 
and talk about life together. And I promise you, you're going to find a lot of people who are willing to pitch in. And also, in the same way, for some reason, it is so beneficial, even when I'm going through some garbage, to extend beyond myself and help someone else with their garbage. That is a beautiful gift from God. That we're in this to help carry each other's burdens. That's a life of faith. It's not me walking uphill by myself. It is we. We're in this together.